0: So this morning, this whole weekend really is really about rediscovering or maybe even discovering for the first time who we are in Christ with the emphasis of in Christ. Can everyone say in Christ? Christ. Because you guys know that it's easy for us to pinpoint all the negative things that we don't like about ourselves. And that inner voice in our heads, everyone has that inner voice, right? Right. And that inner voice is not always the nicest, or the most polite, or the kindest, or the most inspiring voice. I mean, really, when you wake up in the morning, does your inner voice sound like this? Good morning, beautiful. You look awesome today. You are gonna rock this day because you were made for it. God created you and you are gonna kill and crush this day. Go out and change the world. Does your inner voice sound like that, anybody? really Patricia show me your ways I want to know if your inner voice sounds like that I guarantee you it's not on purpose it's probably because you have done a lot of work in your thinking process you've done a lot of inner work and you probably pray four times a day you read your bible five times a day you eat clean you work out regularly you take long walks in the park and I want to be just like you right but if we're being honest most of us Have an imaginary microscope in our head zeroing in on all the negative things that we dislike about ourselves like why can't i lose those 10 pounds why can't i be more spiritual why am i such a bad mom why can't i keep a clean house why am i so messy why can't i be more organized why this why that and what we're really saying is i'm not good enough I'm not skinny enough. I'm not organized enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. Does that sound more familiar to you guys? Anyone here know that voice? I know I'm not alone. So what I wish for all of us this weekend is for us to stop focusing on all the things that we are not and to begin saturating ourselves with all the things that God is. And when I say the word saturate, I say that. On purpose because the word means literally to soak up entirely until no more can be absorbed. I want us to be so full of the knowledge of who God is that those negative thoughts are drowned out, that the voice of God speaks louder to us. Amen. Because when we learn to see ourselves through our identity in Christ, we will begin to realize that even the things that we don't like, the weaknesses, those things that we don't, see why they're there or the hardships that we have faced. Those are the things that cause us to be more dependent on God. And how many of you know that when we are more dependent on God, we are so much better off. So much. So the title of my message today is Because of I Am. And you will understand, no, it's not incorrect grammar. I promise you, once I start getting into the body of my message, you will understand my title. We're going to talk a little bit about Moses. Moses. This morning, because I don't know if there's anyone in the Bible that that talks about more when it comes to having identity issues. And when we think about his life, I mean, why wouldn't he have had identity issues, right? This is someone who, as a baby, his mom was forced to hide his existence for three months. Let me give you a little bit of background. See, during this time, the Hebrews were in slavery by the Egyptians. And... Moses was a Hebrew. And so at that time, the Pharaoh, which was the Egyptian king, he made a law to kill all the baby boys and throw them in the river because he was afraid that the Hebrews would rise up, that there would be more of them and that they would have an overthrown of their government and that there would be too many of them. So he made this terrible law and killed all the Hebrew babies. So Mo- Moses' mother hid him for three months, but then when he was too big... What did she have to do? You all were probably familiar with the story. She had to send him in a basket down the Nile River in hopes that someone would find him and give him a chance to live. So can you imagine, imagine having to send your baby boy down the Nile River to float down in order to save his life? Talk about desperation. That was the only option that she felt she had. So Moses is later found by, of all people, we know the story, Pharaoh's daughter. And if this isn't the amazing hand of God at work, I don't know what is. So here is Moses, a Hebrew who is raised as an Egyptian, and later as an adult, he finds himself struggling, struggling to understand why he becomes so upset when he sees the Hebrew people being mistreated. They're in enslavement, they are making bricks, and they are digging trenches, and They are just being so oppressed. And in fact, at one point he gets so upset when he sees a Hebrew man being beaten that he kills the Egyptian. Not the best choice. But as a result of that, he has to flee for his own life because he's afraid that Pharaoh would have him killed as well. So once again, he is having to find a new home. He's on the run. It's no wonder he had identity issues, right? An abandoned baby. Raised in a culture that was not his own, under the rule of Pharaoh, whose reign was known for the cruel punishment and oppression of the Hebrews, which he was a a Hebrew himself. So I want you to imagine the conversations that people had behind Moses' back. On the one hand, you have Egyptians saying, Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? You know, just because Pharaoh's daughter found him, he's not one of us. And then you have Probably the Hebrew saying, unbelievable. He should be right here with us. If it wasn't for Pharaoh's daughter, he would be right here in enslavement with us. So think of the emotional toll that this had on Moses' identity. He had to deal with that. So let's talk about identity for a moment. I know Lisa touched on it a lot last night, and so a lot of our notes will overlap. But your personal identity has been shaped by several things, some of which are our family. We can't choose our family. You were grown into it. So our family greatly impacts our core values and our beliefs. And then we have our life experiences. Whether they're good or bad, they often sway us towards or away from certain people, certain places, certain ideas. And then you've got society, the culture around you, what you were brought up and can also influence your worldview. So when you think about Moses, his family, his life experiences, the culture he was raised in, All of these factors played a role in shaping his identity. But, everyone say but. None of these external things matter when you compare it to the identity that he received from God himself. It changed everything. So let's go back to our story. Remember, Moses fled Egypt. He ends up in the land of Midian where he meets Zipporah, the daughter of Jethro. Who was a priest and a shepherd. And he begins to work for Jethro. And eventually he falls in love with support. They have a family. They start a whole new life together. And you know, Moses is doing pretty good. He's got a whole newfound identity. But guess what? Something's about to drastically change. And I want you to open your Bibles. We're going to go to Exodus. And I believe the scriptures will be up on the screens if you don't have your Bible with you. Exodus chapter 3. I'm reading out of the NIV version. And this is what happens. One day... Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. said, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. Kind of like last night, right? We got to take off our shoes. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. So Moses at this point is probably like, man, that all sounds wonderful, but what does that have to do with me, right? Let's skip down to verse 10. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. He said, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Why? Why me? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Has anyone else felt like Moses in this situation before? How many times have we told God, but why me? Who am I? Why are you picking me of all the people on this earth that you could have picked for this assignment? Why are you picking me? But God answered in verse 12, I will be with you. Notice he didn't actually answer the question. He didn't say, well, you're Moses. You were raised with the Egyptians. I know of you. No. He said, I will be with you. Verse 13, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell him? And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. And in those two words, God spoke to him, I am. God gave him everything, everything that he would ever need. This was a defining moment in Moses' life. Because up until now, Moses' identity had been wrapped up in external factors. He had been defined by everything that happened to him. But in reality, he was about to find out that it had all happened for him. He meets the I am and he receives his calling, his purpose. He receives a whole new identity. God asked him to go free the Israelites out of bondage. Something that he probably would have never thought possible. And because of Moses' perception, you talked about it last night, he had the perception he had of himself. This calling, this assignment, this purpose terrified him. Absolutely terrified him. We're going to jump to chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, verse 10, you'll see how Moses responds with giving God a bunch of excuses for why he was not the right person for the job. You've got the wrong person. In verse ten, four, chapter 4, verse 10, it says, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm really not now, even though I'm speaking to you right now. Anybody kind of have those conversations with God? I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled again. God responds with trying to shift Moses' perception away from himself and to focus on God alone. And then the Lord asked Moses in verse 11, I love this. Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? How many times has the Lord just dropped the mic on us and said, is it not I, The Lord? God was communicating to Moses that all his excuses were irrelevant because I am created him. I am chose him. I am called him. I am sent him. It's because of I am that he is and it's because of I am that he can. I can tell you the amount of times that God has to remind me the very same thing. And I'm sure he's done it to you that it's not about our weaknesses. It's not about our strengths. It's entirely about our willingness to surrender to everything that God is. And he is the I am. Anything you need him to be. And finally in verse 12 he says, now go. I will be with you as you speak. And I will instruct you in what you say. So what Moses was struggling with, and I think many of us can relate, it's that we have a hard time believing that the I am desires to live and breathe and work through us. It's hard to us to reconcile the fact that the same God that spoke the word, the world into existence is the same God that wants to speak and live through us. We read powerful scriptures dealing with identity in Christ such as Romans 8:11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. John 14.12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. You will do greater works. But still we struggle to believe that this can be true. It's hard for us to grasp. And you know why the struggle is real? It's because we are looking to our own selves, we're trying to find our own selves worthy. We try to qualify ourselves. We've got to be qualified to house the great I am. I have to be qualified. I have to be worthy to house the great I am. We've got that microscope out, pointing out every failure, every flaw, every mistake, every weakness, every bad thing that's ever happened to us. and We provide excuses after excuse of why I'm not the person for the job. And we say things like, why me, God, who am I? We are stuck on looking inward instead of upward. And meanwhile, guess what? The enemy sits back because as long as we dwell in this mindset, the enemy has nothing to fear from us Well, today I'd want to scare the crap out of him. See, you said it too last night. I can say it too. Yeah, it's one of my favorite words, even though my girls always correct me. But I want to scare the crap out of the devil. I want him to be really, really scared. Because we got to know that the I am is bigger than every excuse that we can give him. Psalm 34 and 5 says this those who look to him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. I'm going to say it again. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We cannot be so focused on yourself or on external factors in your life, whatever they may be, that you, fall, that you fail to recognize that I am created you. I am chose you. I am called you. I am sent you. Because of I am, you are. And because of I am, you are can everyone say because, because of, I of i am your excuses are irrelevant because it's not about you i am is enough for you remember what i said at the beginning of my message that my desire is that you would stop focusing on all the things that you are not or that your life is not and you begin saturating yourself with all the things that god is and he is holiness he is righteousness. He is love. He is peace. He is power. He is salvation. He is all these things and more. And he can be all that through you. So who is God to you? Because he is either all he claims to be or not God at all. You either believe what he says or you don't. You said it last night, Lisa. And if you notice the color of our, the color scheme of our whole uh, weekend is really black and white, and I chose these colors because that's what I want us to view, the word of God. What God says about us is black and white. There is no shades of gray here, okay? There's no shades of gray. You shouldn't be reading that stuff anyway. But the Bible says, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that he is not a man that he would lie. He doesn't start something that he doesn't finish, and his word doesn't return void. So you either believe that he is God or he is not, So who is he to you? Look at your neighbor and tell them, who is he to you? Who is he to you? It all comes back to the fear of the Lord. Somebody say the fear of the Lord. So when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's referring to a reverent awe. Not a fear that causes us to hide in guilt or shame, but a fear that causes us to stand in awe and wonder and amazement of all that God is. So maybe our primary problem is not so much that there's a lack of self-worth or a lack of self-purpose, but instead that there is a lack of awe. There is a lack of awe. Because if we truly marveled at the great I am, we wouldn't waste another minute trying to justify our worth and our value because I am his and that makes me enough. He makes me enough. It's because of I am. Amen. It's because of I am. So I want to show you a couple of pictures. A couple of months ago, in the month of July, I think, Tommy and I got to take a trip. The girls were off to camp. on the same week, praise the Lord, free babysitting. I mean, we didn't have, you know, we paid for the camp. But we got to go on a trip. So... Tommy and I went to Seattle, Washington, and then we took a ferry and went over to Victoria, and we got to see some of the most beautiful and amazing sights. I mean, just the mountain ranges, and I have a couple of pictures of some of the nature sights. Oh, yeah, this is me attempting to fish, attempting to fly fish, didn't catch one thing, but it's okay. This is me attempting to fly fish in Seattle, Washington. And then uh, we got to do some bike riding. I mean, everything was just gorgeous. The rivers running through these forests. Oh, this is a terrible selfie, but I wanted you to see the two deer behind me. I mean, they were just so close, and it was just gorgeous. Now, hold on one second. I I want to show that last. So this is the Chihuly Gardens in Seattle, Washington. This is glass. Absolutely incredible exhibit I recommend everyone to go see it. I think there's a couple more of the Chihuly gardens, the glass exhibits that we can show you. Look at that! Isn't that gorgeous? This is glass that they have painted and melted down in a fire. Just gorgeous. And so my favorite part was in Victoria, in Victoria, Canada. So we took the ferry over to Victoria, Canada, and we went to the um, Butchart Gardens. And there was this place called the Sunken Garden. And you can show that picture now, the sunken garden. Look how gorgeous that is. All the colors. In fact, Renita and Diane, I think y'all were just there, right? Absolutely stunning. I mean, it just this doesn't even do it justice. It really looked like little make-believe enchanted garden. And I felt like there was a fairy was just going to bust out of this place because it looks so make-believe. And then there's like a fountain there as well. So I think there's a picture of a fountain. And the most amazing thing about this sunken garden area is that it was all formed. Look at that gorgeous fountain. There was, and it's like, it does like rhythmic things with the water and all that. But this whole place, this sunken garden that you're looking at, was made before it was all this. It was a limestone quarry, which, look at that picture. So, limestone quarry, which really means just a big old hole made out of rocks, that was made. The sunken garden was made out of all of that. And so you, needless to say, thank you for those pictures, needless to say, I had many moments of awe. Many moments when my jaw just dropped and I was awestruck at just the beauty, the surroundings, and everything that God created. So why am I talking about this? What does this have to do with being in awe of God? What does this have to do with having an upward look versus an inward look? Because, let me tell you, did you know that research shows that when humans experience awe, we actually become less self-focused. It's been proven in many studies. And one study that I read about that was published in the New York Times in 2015 said this. Awe imbues people with a different sense of themselves. One that is smaller, more humble, and part of something larger. Our research finds that even brief experiences of awe, such as being amid beautiful tall trees, lead people to feel less narcissistic and entitled and more attuned to the common humanity people share with one another. So if this has been proven over a number of studies dealing with experience awe here in the natural, how much less self-focused, less self-absorbed, less insecure would we be if we continually experienced awe in God himself? You know, our prayer should really be, God, Lord, help me to be more aware of you. Help me to recognize the majesty that you are all right in front of me. Help me to see you in all your glory, in all your splendor. Open my eyes to see more of you. You know, it kind of reminds me of that old hymn, and I've got lots of ladies in here that will sing it with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. I know exactly what he meant. He was talking about reverent awe. He was talking about having the fear of the Lord standing in wonder and amazement so much to the point that everything else just fades away. Everything else is just background noise. It's not that, that primary voice in your head, but it's the voice of God speaking over you. I'm almost done. So I, wanna, I, want, I want to tell you just several truths in the word of God that are connected to the fear of the Lord. Psalms 147, 10, and 11, he delights in those who fear him. It says, he takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or a human might. No, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. Then Psalm 25 and 14 says, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Psalm 31 and 19 says, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you. Psalm 111 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. Proverbs 16 and 6, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Psalm 103, 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And then Psalm 34 and 9, fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. So when you fear the Lord, you won't fear anything else. When we truly fear the Lord, you won't need to fear anything else. And I talked about earlier about that inner voice, you know, that sounds a lot like Oprah Winfrey or maybe Rachel Hollis for my generation. You know, that inner voice that you acquire when you pray daily and read your Bible. Well, in all seriousness, we've got to be intentional about our thought process. We've got to be intentional about What we are allowing to shape our identity. Because if we don't become intentional, before you know it, just like Lisa was talking about, the culture around you is going to shape your identity. Our identity is an ongoing process of discovery. An ongoing process of receiving God's words over the word of the enemy. Over the word of this world. Over the words of man. Over the words of that negative voice in our heads. We get to choose What shapes us? Say that with me. I get to choose what shapes my identity. So you know my favorite part of the story of Moses is that despite of Moses' inner struggle, God never gave up on him. He had a specific purpose, a specific calling just for Moses. And God relentlessly pursued him just as he does every one of us. And at the end of his life... The Bible says this about Moses in Deuteronomy 34. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Because Moses learned how to look upward. Amen. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants with mighty power. Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. I want you to stand. So this morning... I have a song prepared, and I kind of want us to come. I want everyone up on this altar. When I first heard this song, actually, I already knew what I was going to speak about. And then when I heard this song, it just confirmed it. Like, I have to close with this song. So. Come on down. Come on down. Let's make room for everybody. We're about to wrap it up, and then we're going to go into our breakout sessions. But I want to read this one last thing that I read in a devotional just recently that was perfect for this message. It says, a confident woman makes it apparent that the level of her confidence runs parallel to her dependence on God. It is not based on her performance level. A confident woman understands that the presence of imperfection in her life encourages her to rely on God to fill the places where she lacks She knows that temporal things on this earth will change. And because the great I am never changes, she can be secure and confident in who she is because of who he is. So I just want you to close your eyes as we're going to close this session with this song. And I know a lot of you already know it. And I want you to sing it so loud because it's just an anthem that I want us to leave here with. Just declaring the voice of God over our life. Amen. Lord, we just welcome you right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for this word, God.